Beards, Business, and Balls, presented by House Enterprise and brought to you by Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com, enter the code HOUSE, so you get 20% off your order and free international shipping. Jake and Will here, uh, Friday drop. Um, first things first, I saw something on Twitter, ironically enough, and I think it was Stephen King that actually tweeted this at Elon Musk. Feels like Elon's just going through the motions. Feels like he doesn't know what the F he's doing. And I can't even remember if we said this last week, but I think he's just... I can't keep up. I can't can't keep keep up up. either. But I'm officially of the stance that Elon does not know what the hell he's doing as a CEO of Twitter, and he's making this shit up as he goes. Official stance, Friday, December 2nd, 2022. That's where I'm at. Official stance, I don't think it's that hard to run Twitter hot take because <laughs> it literally is just a platform where people post their opinions and you don't, you allow free speech, but you don't allow hate speech and bad people and stupid comments like Kanye West. And you allow truthful people to say truthful takes and truthful opinions like ride chip is the best Oh, yes. Hey, I am one of the minorities and I should have defended you in our chat. That was bullshit. Ride Chip is the best Chex Mix. I actually think your order is exactly how I would have done it. There is, for those who have not seen, 25 days of take miss, no questions at this time. Day two, I posted a power rankings of Chex Mix. Did not think it would be causing quite the controversy. We've built a brand in two and a half, almost three years of House Enterprise, and it's about to fall apart on <laughs> one freaking take that I said the rye chip out of the Chex Mix bag was the number one item where multiple people on the House Enterprise front has now said that is a garbage take and Chex Mix is garbage. So now we're that's about to, hot take. We're about to hand out pink slips and let people go. We're about to find new people. Sam Basil, I thought he was our trusted knight. I thought he was a, a a company man. Is throwing out garbage snack takes, and hours later, and hundreds and hundreds of messages, we got people making snack tears. It's things are not going well in the house world over one take that checks mix. The ride chip is the best take. So here's what you do. You take the ride chip and you put two of the wheat checkses on the ride chip and you eat perfect combo. Because the dusting, I don't know what that is. It's like a it's like very salty, those Just wheat salt. checks. But it's like a dusting of sorts and it is delightful. Absolutely delightful. And I will say, I don't eat checks mix a lot. When I am at an airport though, checks mix is it. You know for a fact you're buying that eight dollar Chex Mix. It's a Even big bag, and it's it's a $3. meal. dollars. It's a meal that fills that fills you up. And those are big bags at the airport. They don't give you. They don't skimp you on, on the amount that they give you there. It's like one of those special edition ones. Overall, that was far better than your emoji ranking yesterday. That that's subjective. <laughs> you won't like you won't like tomorrow's. Oh shit! Ranking of New Haven pizza places. I won't like it. You might. You might not. Who knows? Why would you say I won't like it? I we'll might see. really like it. We'll see. I guess. Yeah. Uh, there's no spoilers because there's only four, right? Well, <laughs> I guess like five or six. What but... do you think the ranking is? Well, I'll tell you what my ranking is. Let's hear it. 
I would say modern one because I grew up with it. Sally's very close behind it, though. And I think those are interchangeable. Like, to the naked eye, if you're new to New Haven, Sally's is probably one. Um, and modern might be two, depending on when you go. Um, and then what else? There's Peppy's. There's, I guess you could throw bar in the ring there. Those are the four I did. Yeah. I'd, I'd say if I were a betting man in the pizza world, I would say you go Sally's one, modern two, Peppy's three, bar four. That's what mm-hmm. I would say. That was it. Wow. We have a, a spoiler. Don't, uh, it? yeah, don't, if you see this on houseenterprise.com tomorrow, don't fret. Uh, and don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. New Haven pizzas. What else? What else do you have coming down the road? I got Yankee candle scents and I have seasons and then I need new ideas. I have a very dark horse Yankee candle scent because I just restocked. I, um, well, actually, no, I, I'm a bath and body works person. Um, Jesus. Mahogany Teakwood bath and body works is probably oh, the best. Oh man. No. What's, what's this? Why am I, why no. am I getting this bullshit? The bath- world leader. Bath and Body Works candle over Yankee candle. Come on. The deals are much better and the scents are much better. Come on. I've got um, a Christmas one going right now. Midnight Dark Citrus is to die for. And Mahogany Teakwood is to to die for. I just got After Dark, the men's collection. Smells fantastic. Yeah, but they last like a barber shop. They last for a cup of coffee. I know it's true. Like my Christmas one, I'm looking at it's halfway done. I got it two days ago. Yankee Candle. I have one sitting here that I go every day, and it's there there for months. I know this one. I've had this for like a year, and it's still I... <laughs> it's uh, Beach Walk Yankee Candle. I'm turning That's... the corner because I started using Yankee Candle shit in my car. That's a solid scent. That's a solid um, scent. Yes. All right. Looking forward to it. Catch up with 25 days of takes takes miss or take miss take miss take miss. No S no uh, S on our website. That'll be every day. Uh, exciting. I- I'm excited to see what other shit you start in our chat. Um, <laughs> Clearly it's going to ruffle some feathers Acts and emojis were so polarizing. Crazy. You started off with two very polarizing topics. You have to, you have to get people going. No, you've set the bar high. Um, we made our appearance at Gillette Stadium. That was number one for you. That was uh, obviously been there a handful of times. But for the Pats, this is only my second home Pats game. I thought about it this morning. I hadn't been there since 2013. I'm very glad I went. Um, but the product on the field is so bad. So bad. And I don't want to, this is not the Patriots rant podcast. I'm not doing that because I'm not putting myself through all this crap. Um, I think Matt Patricia should be arrested for, for treason. I think it's more than just Matt Patricia from my perspective, but I came in rooting for bills minus three Stefan Diggs, anytime touchdown score and Ramondre Stevenson under 67 and a half rushing yards. I walked out three for three. Why didn't I didn't like that. That's so that's free fucking money. Free money. And I walked out. Well, we both walked out having some great beer, which is what we'll start off with. So Cisco Brewery 
New England Forever IPA. Had a few too many of those last night. But honestly, solid beer. Solid, solid beer. Um, Especially for a stadium beer. And I actually, I think this should be a segment that we should do in the new year on just stadium beers and like ranking the stadiums on like what they offer. Because I actually felt that Gillette had a very good craft beer selection. I was going to say, I think I have, well, I know I have never been to any sports event at any level ever that had this craft beer selection that Gillette Stadium does. They had a whole craft beer, like separate stand. Like these New England Forevers from Cisco were part of like most of like the main, like the main areas, like where we got food. Like it was like the Bud Light or whatever other uh, domestic ones that they had. Um, And then they also had the couple local selections but then they had like wormtown be happy wormtown be happy yeah um but they actually had their own separate area of just like local craft beers which i thought was cool yes and downstairs well actually when we were upstairs we had a revelation that was when i came over to you i was waiting for a cheeseburger oddly enough and i see these two guys next to me drinking treehouse which is yeah Tell the story because mine. Now I had had a few beers before that, so it was like there's my brain just sort of went off. I'm like these guys definitely like snuck them in or something, and we. uh, I asked him. I looked at him. I go, "We're like obviously you guys brought those in, right?" And they go, "No, do you not know about marketplace downstairs?" I said, "What the hell do you mean marketplace? There's a place at Gillette Stadium on the second floor, closest to like." I don't know how to describe it. It's sort of like close to where the CVS health gate is, where we walked in, where like most other people walk in. There's a place that just serves like super rare canned craft beer. And they sell out. If it's a good beer, they usually sell out before the game starts. And today they had, they do it once or twice a year across all events. And today they had Treehouse, or yesterday they had Treehouse. Um, that threw me for a huge loop. And if I didn't get a huge New England forever beer from Cisco beforehand, I think you and I would have been right down there. Because that is, it is very rare that you get great craft beer in a stadium. And Gillette had it. Yeah, I was confused if it was like they, like if that was a deal brokered with Treehouse or did like the person who owns the market literally go pick up 10 cases of julius or green and be like just sell it at a markup it's probably the first one it's probably treehouse has to sign some deal because if they get wind of their stuff being sold at gillette without their permission they'll be like what the hell are you but that's just so unlike treehouse yeah i guess the the only thing i can think of is it's the paths it's it doesn't come around a lot there's when else are you going to get 70,000 people in a stadium at once exposed to your brand? I mean, that, that tells a powerful story. And everybody knows Treehouse. It's going to these games, too. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they won't sell. I mean, they, they're quite literally fresh out every single time. Definitely interesting because it's like, I, like I would have expected Trillium to do something like that. And Trillium, they said, they usually have some Trillium beer, which... Totally makes sense. That makes sense. The treehouse. Yeah, when you said that, I was like, whoa. I, I was very shocked to hear that. Um, overall experience at Gillette, 
I'm going to give it an A minus. I was actually impressed. I was actually, I was very impressed. Um, it was clean, which for a football stadium, that's not necessarily, you know, something that happens. I thought like the parking was actually pretty seamless. The food was eh. The food they could they could improve on, but yeah, I definitely had better. Like if I could do it again, and I think you would say the same thing. Like I'd be getting a burrito first. Oh yeah, the burrito we messed up on. The popcorn was pretty good. I'm sorry to the two gentlemen I spilled uh, our big bucket on in front of me, but I'm really not sorry because they're fucking Bills fans. So yeah, you fumbled that bag. <laughs> fumbled that, that bag. <clears throat> I'm also very sorry. Uh, to the gentleman that we did not clear uh, the popcorn out of his hood after that happened because he was a Bills fan. Um, <laughs> so I'm sure he got home and his wife slash kids were not too happy or they were, maybe they found it funny that popcorn was in dad's hood. One thing I was surprised though, and again, there was a lot of Bills fans, but it is AFC AFC East rivalry. So I can I can see the split, but I was surprised with how many Wyoming Josh Allen jerseys, but just Wyoming merch as a whole. There was hats, sweatshirts, hoodies, jerseys. I was very, very surprised. I'm like, okay, maybe there's people that are really just Josh Allen fans and, and travel the country to see him, but or there's you know college kids that pick up, you know, the Josh Allen Wyoming jersey on Alibaba Express or wherever, but there was like you know, fully issued college gear, like the, you know, branded windbreaker jackets. Oh, yeah. Stuff. I was like, what are people doing from Wyoming or go to Wyoming coming here? I will say top three jerseys I saw last night. The first one was a guy in front of us with the the throwback Wyoming Josh Allen jersey. That was pretty cool. Um, There was some crackhead in the parking lot that I guess – wears the jersey of opposing teams every single game which i don't know how you have that many jerseys good for you but his willis mcgahee jersey was one i did not expect to see and then the other guy that walked into the stadium with us that actually was in our section too he had a 91 jersey from years past i don't really know who it was and he taped up the name and wrote dietrich wise his name on it those were the top three things i saw last night there was definitely some characters. Yeah, there were, um, what else? Any other jerseys? I, I didn't see, like, uh, those were the top three. There were some fresh jerseys in the crowd. It was tough because everybody had jackets on. So it was... It was cold. It was a cold one. It was fucking freezing. But the wind died down, which was nice. Like, I, I was comfortable at the end of it. Um, The wind whipping would not have been good. Overall, great experience at Gillette. What a shitty pa- Patriots team this is, though. Like, oh. This is probably the worst. This is a worse Pats team than the Cam Newton days from a couple of years wow. ago. Wow. And maybe the talent's better, but the team performance is significantly worse, in my opinion. This team does not deserve to be six and six. They deserve to be four and eight because without Zach Wilson quarterbacking the Jets, if Mike White played both those games, the team would be four and eight. It's that simple. And you said a few weeks ago, you thought that I was going to make the claim that the Patriots were contenders. They are far from it. They are. I don't know if it's possible to be like a negative contender. 
like a, an extreme, like an alt, an alt pretender. That's what the Pats are. Worst, and they're never going to get better until they fire Matt Patricia. Worst 500 team in football. I don't even, I, I don't even think it's close. Yeah. They worst. Totally discombobulated. They have pissed off everyone in the locker room. And yeah, I'm not ranting anymore. We're done. They suck. <laughs> they are so bad. Um, you know who doesn't suck are the New York Yankees. Mm. Subjective. No. <laughs> <laughs> they had a 99 win season. They they had a a great team last year. They ran into a red hot Astros, and that's what killed them. Um, winter meetings are coming up. Lots going on in the baseball world right now. Uh, Max Goodman's here with us today. He covers the Yankees beat for Sports Illustrated. He's going to San Diego for the winter meetings. Uh, so we have a great conversation with Max about some considerations in this Aaron Judge saga, um, some of the deals that we could expect to go down this weekend, and in general, his experience covering the Yankees beat, some things he's learned in the clubhouse and all that good stuff this year. So here's Max Goodman. Let's bring him in. All right, everybody, with us this week, we got Max Goodman, the Yankees beat writer for Sports Illustrated. And it's always a crazy time in Yankees baseball. Baseball might be done, but winter meetings are this weekend, which is crazy. And, you know, December rolls around. We got off-season baseball in full swing. But Max joins us. And uh, first and foremost, how's everything going? Hope you had a great holiday and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate you guys having me. I'm, I'm doing well. So, I mean, we got to cut to the chase, get the the big whale, the white whale right out of the way. And uh, we have to talk about it because as Yankees fans and as a Yankee reporter yourself, the big news is obviously Aaron Judge, the big ticket item. Um, so we know we have an offer on the table. It's eight years, 300 million. What else do you know about the situation as it's unfolding? I think we're all kind of in, in wait and see mode at, at this point. I think that we'll... Uh... We'll hear some more rumors and reports coming up in the next few days. Like you said, winter meetings are, are right around the corner. And, you know, last time there were winter meetings in person was the, the Gary Cole, Steven Strasburg, and Anthony Rendon. All those those big names went off the table right there. And so much money was spent in, in 2019. So not sure if we'll see something similar like that, but I know that a couple pieces will will, will start to, to land in different places. We saw Eflin signed. Miguel Castro today. Uh, so it, it's going to start to happen. It's been a relatively quiet offseason so far. But but yeah, specifically with Judge, Yankees are going to try to be up there with anybody else and any other possible suitors like the Giants and, and, and Dodgers, I guess, seem like they're the other front runners in this process. It seems like Judge and the Yankees want to get this done, right? That's That's been the what's been said in public, what's been said in private since – gosh, since opening day, right? When they didn't get that job done with the $213.5 million offer before the season started, it always seemed like they wanted to get it done. Captaincy is involved and, and Judge wants to be in pinstripes, but at this point, anything can happen on the open market too. So we'll see what other teams start to offer. And uh, like I said, I think this process will start to, to heat up over the next couple of days and weeks. And you as you mentioned, about, one of the oh yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say you talk about Aaron Judge being obviously the marquee, the big name, and you said in 2019 other names followed suit with those numbers. Is Judge kind of like holding this blockade of like all of the you know 
tier a top tier free agents to sign or is it you know he'll play the long hand and others will you know kind of sign before that happens well when when someone's going to command that much money i think teams are going to act differently until that domino falls and you look at the yankees specifically if they don't get judged let's say he he goes somewhere else gets a crazy good offer from the giants wants to go to the dodgers another mystery team comes out of the woods and, and he goes there. The Yankees will need to respond and spend money elsewhere, but they don't want to move those resources right now when judge is still available and they probably still feel pretty darn good about bringing him back. So I think that that is when it comes to position players and, and everybody as a whole judge is the centerpiece of all of this. And maybe that's why he does get signed in the winter meetings because so many teams are, are in wait-and-see mode right now when it comes to the starting pitchers on the market. Justin Verlander, DeGrom, they're going to get paid a lot of money, and a lot of contenders that might be into a, a possible judge deal are in wait-and-see mode with, with them as well. You talk about some of the key suitors, and obviously I think the big one that's not the Yankees is the San Francisco Giants. Um, they took him in a couple of weeks ago, as we know. They allegedly had a meet with Steph Curry and a few other uh, San Francisco area sports figures. So, you know, do we know more about sort of what went down, maybe perceptions of how that visit was received by Judge? And, you know, as sort of in the same vein here, is the only reason in your eyes that he would sign with someone like a San Francisco or an LA about money, or is there some other glaring factor that he might consider beyond money there? Right. Well, my, my perspective on, on this is unique in the sense that I started on the beat in November of 2019. My first spring training was 2020 and everything got shut down with COVID. So this year was my first full year in a clubhouse. And this was such a crazy year for him it was hard to really build those relationships with any player in general, let alone the guy who was hitting 62 home runs and, and winning an MVP award. But my perspective is I, I always thought that if he did leave, it would be for wanting to start a family back home, being closer to his parents. Maybe his wife wants to go back to, to where they grew up or he's, he's just wanting a change in scenery. I, I don't know if necessarily the money would be the, the single factor because I think that the Yankees will go – as high as they need to, you know, we could, we could, maybe you were going to ask this, we could talk about the downsides of signing somebody who's on the other side of 30 for eight, seven, nine years, spending that much money. Those deals usually don't work out in the, the end of those contracts, but that's kind of how it works in, in sports these days. You got to pay for the, the prime years in the front of those contracts. So look, I mean, if it's like with Garrett Cole, right, he was a Yankees fan growing up. They, they wooed him in free agency. They gave him a huge contract. It was hard for him to say no. I mean, they brought in some of, the, some of his favorite players in 2019 when he was in free agency, and it all worked out. But, you know, maybe Judge is close with Curry behind the scenes. Maybe he met with those guys and, and saw a plan to contend because he's still looking for a ring as well. I think that he's going to weigh all of those factors. And as much as he said that he's always wanted to be in pinstripes, He's going he's gonna to do his due diligence here. And that's why I said anything can happen because we don't know what's going to happen behind closed doors and what those conversations are like with his agents and, and the other executives and, and, and personnel from these different teams. And the money aspect too. I mean, us as fans and you as a reporter and a fan, it's like, it's on our money. So it's like, obviously spend away, but the Yankees are a business. So, you know, what do you think 
the most years, money combination of both the most that Hal and cash will, uh, you know, cough up for judge, or is it, they will be the top offer no matter what. Right. I, I, I don't know if there is a, a cap to a certain extent, because I don't think you can quantify just how much judge means to this franchise and how valuable he really is. I mean, he's the closest thing to Derek Jeter in terms of a, a leader and a face of the franchise type figure face of the league. At least he was in 2022. Uh, he, he, silence the concerns about durability and, and staying on the field these last couple of years. Is he going to continue to hit 60 plus home runs and win an MVP every year? Probably not. But these next couple of years between the lines, he's going to be the, the key figure for them in terms of bringing them to a championship. You talk about the, the prime years, Garrett Cole and John Carlos Stanton, those guys that are making a lot of money, they're not getting any younger either. So you're trying to win a championship in this window these next couple of years, but off the field, man, I mean, you, you go to a game, it's all 99 jerseys. There's a part of the stadium named after the guy he's, he's on billboards and commercials. Like it's, he's the guy in New York. Right. So by letting him go and how much he means to this fan base, I don't think the fans will be, will be too happy about it. And I think that to a certain extent that the Yankees need to grapple with the, the, the cost. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around 300 plus million. And, and they did that with Garrett Cole. They have these huge contracts that they're spending. Can they afford it? I guess there's a lot of money to go around behind the scenes. And if they're willing to, you know, exceed certain thresholds and, and spread their money out and building the roster in different ways, but the repercussions of not bringing him back both between the lines and off the field, I think you'd see pitchforks in the streets uh, around Yankee stadium and, and, and people wouldn't be too happy. And I think you'd see, the product on the field judgment so much to this team over the last couple of years. I mean, they're, they're like a wild card team in 2022 if he's not as good as he was. And I don't know if they even make the playoffs in 2021, if he wasn't as good as he was too, as, as a leader physically between the lines, what he's doing offensively, defensively, everything. So that's, that's why it's hard for me to see him necessarily leave because I don't know if the Yankees want that scenario to happen. And if it does, they need to maybe go, 2009 mode and really spend in other ways to make up for that. But I don't know if they would do that as well. And we're going to ask in a little bit on, you know, the top priorities, but I mean, that's a good segue and just of, you know, let's just think worst case scenario judge leaves happy for him that he goes starts with San Francisco. I'd be, I'd be upset if it was a, uh, the Dodgers to be honest, but well, that's a, a conversation for hopefully not a different day, but he leaves what do the Yankees do? What is that big splash that they make to, you know, at least appease the fan base of like, Hey, we, we still care. We're going to spend the money. We're going to build a championship team. What, where do the, you know, the cards on the table end up in that scenario? It's kind of complicated. And I'd, I'd be curious to hear what, what you guys think too, because I think reporters and fans, they all have their different perspective on this, but the way the Yankees acted, a year ago shows just how much faith they have in Anthony Volpe and, and Oswald Peraza and the best available free agents in terms of position players are at shortstop. So you can only have one guy at shortstop. You've got Glaber Torres and DJ LeMahieu lined up at second. You've got people that can play third. There's still a log jam on the infield. So if judge leaves, there isn't necessarily a, a, a Juan Soto Bryce Harper type outfielder to just, replace him and and put an outfielder out there signing 
Andrew Benintendi is, is not replacing Aaron Judge. It would be your starting left fielder, which they also need. That's a priority. Uh, Masataka Yoshida is, is out there as well. There are some other outfielders, Nimmo, Conforto. But shortstop would be, I mean, there are superstar shortstops available as there were last year. So do you sign a, a, a Carlos Correa and then mess around with the prospects? Because if you don't sign a shortstop, you've got those two guys that'll probably play at that position all year and potentially for, for years and years and, and, and a decade going forward. I think that's the, the perfect scenario with, with the homegrown talent that they have. So it's, it's complex. You, you could go out and sign a couple pitchers, but then the offense is going to not be as good when you're, you're trying to replace a guy that just won MVP, hit 62 home runs, led the league in so many different categories. So the priority would be making that decision. Let's say judge leaves. You have a lot of money that you can spend, but there aren't as many holes in the spaces where the best available players are. That makes any sense. Yeah, for sure. And off that too, you bring up an interesting point. You saw the shortstop market last year. You saw the money that guys like Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon, and even a guy like Correa got before he opted out too. And that's changed the shortstop market forever. You know, that Trey Turner is going to get paid somewhere. You know, the Correa is going to get even more money than he did last year. And the shortstop market has sort of been, you know, the, the bar has certainly been raised there. If judge on the other hand, gets what he wants this year, it's probably going to break some AAV records and some other areas. So how do you think a contract like what he's asking for affects the outfield market in the future as well? Oh man. I mean, it, it makes you wonder in, in 10, 20 years, like what these athletes are going to be getting paid. And you see it in other sports too. They're always trying to break the record. Every new superstar that that gets to that point on the open market uh i think when when trout signed no one thought that his contract would ever be broken and what scherzer has the highest aev ever right like i'm sure that'll be broken at some point too and what is in the the nfl it's like mahomes had the the, the massive contract i'm sure something else will will break that at some point too and what i mentioned earlier judge you're paying for these next couple of years but eventually he's not going to be the same player even if he's able to stay durable, age catches up to you. It's it's undefeated. It's going to happen at some point. And baseball is a hard game. You got to play 162 games. He's he's diving out in right field, running the bases. He stole a lot more than than he had in the past this year. Um, he's six foot six, six foot seven, whatever it is. So, do you want to invest that much money when you know that? five years from now, six years from now, he's not going to be the same player at all. And you're going to be spending that much money. Uh, it's, it's definitely going to have an impact. You, you'd have the same conversation with what Verlander will make this off season, what DeGrom will make this off season. So every new wave and, and I'll say generation, but every new class of, of free agents and available players, they're going to break records. They're going to be up there with, with the best of the best in terms of what they're getting paid. It also helps that, you know, a lot of players are under Scott Boris and, and certain agents that are negotiating all these, all these deals. You can then reference off of what a certain player made and compare statistically. It's a lot different nowadays than it was. I'm sure, you know, generations ago when you didn't have all the stats that, that we do now. And it's crazy for teams like Atlanta who, you know, identifies their young talent and locks them into these long-term deals, but very friendly with the, you know, AAV and just like financial wise, um, you know, are there any players that you can see 
in the Yankees system that obviously it's still too soon to tell with guys like Anthony Volpe, Oswaldo Cabrera, but can you see any of these players sticking around for a long period of time or should they just, you know, focus on what the old Yankees used to do and just spend away rather than build up the prospects? I think the best comp to what the Braves have been doing would have been after Glaber Torres' first two years. You sign him to a a long-term deal with team-friendly AAV, and I don't know how that would have worked out in terms of how he ended up playing the couple years after that. And now he's supposedly on the trade block, which which kind of makes sense with what we were talking about earlier. If you want to open up one spot for a prospect or make a move to to get a bullpen arm with with Torres or someone in the infield that's expendable, Josh Donaldson, if someone would take his deal. Um, but looking at the, the the top prospects the Yankees have now, I mean, man, if, if like a Jason Dominguez works out, maybe once he's up a couple of years from now, and then a couple of years after he's made his debut, you lock someone like that up. And again, I think that the plan would be that Anthony Volpe, once he's there, he's the shortstop for the foreseeable future too. So they, they really took a dip into their pitching prospects and the, the, the cream of the crop in terms of who they had at the top of their farm system. But the Yankees have also proven recently that they churn out quality pitching prospects and, and the, the pitching department behind the scenes from the, the lowest levels of the farm system all the way up. They're very skilled at bringing out the best in guys. And like you, you've seen that so far with uh, Clayton Beater, who was acquired for Joey Gallo. I mean, he's, he, he pitched a lot better in double A than he was pitching with the Dodgers. And so we'll see if he can sustain that. Like that's a name to keep an eye on in 2023 with how he does double AA, A, triple A. Um, I think that the track record with those guys that they've been developing, you know, who knows, is Clark Schmidt going to be around for a long time? That's maybe not a good example because he's faced some adversity and, and been injured and hasn't been in the rotation, but that's the kind of top prospect gets to the big leagues, makes an impact. You try to lock them up for a long time. And that's, that's what the Braves have been doing for sure. And it's, it's interesting. Sort of because, oh, I was going to one more point because you didn't mention you didn't mention Oswaldo Peraza, who we kind of saw but didn't see. Is he someone that obviously can compete in spring training, or is he just going to be another stopgap for an Anthony Volpe? I, I think that he would he would be the shortstop of the future too if you didn't have Volpe in there. Um, and he played what was it eighteen games in the regular season? He looked good. I mean he he's got offensive upside through the roof plays a good shortstop his speed numbers were, were there in the minors and he showed that a little bit in, in the big leagues as well and Oswaldo Cabrera did did pretty darn well too in the big leagues but I think he profiles more as like the the Ben Zobrist utility type of player and maybe he's even the left fielder on opening day we'll, we'll see how they approach that situation but I think you could see the Yankees roll with a, a middle infield of, of Peraza and Volpe uh, that would Again, that would be ideal in terms of breeding your internal talent. It's going to be team friendly because they're they're just coming out of the minors, so they're not making as much as what a DJ LeMahieu is making, that kind of thing. So you, you got a lot to figure out with this logjam of infielders. Bring back Anthony Rizzo. You've got some different pieces that I think there's going to be a, a lot of decisions that that the Yankees need to make, whether it's whether it's Aaron Boone or or, or Cashman or, or Steinbrenner or everybody else leading up to and during spring training as you start to see different guys 
competing for a spot specifically at shortstop. Yeah, with or without Aaron Judge or Glaber Torres uh, or some of the other younger guys, there's so many different permutations and, and combinations of of lineups and, and defensive formations that you can run with. So it, it's interesting stuff for sure. Uh, to focus back on this past season, of course, this, as you mentioned, Max, was your first year uh, you know, sort of fully immersed in the clubhouse, right? Because when you took over in 2019, it was COVID, uh, shortened season, and then still the restrictions on. And finally, you got to really be a part of, you know, like a full part of this team. Um, the expectations for the Yankees this past year were clearly World Series or bust. We all know how it ended. Bust it was. Uh, Houston goes on and sweeps them. They they cruise through the World Series. In your opinion, from having covered this team, the the very high highs and the crashing lows where do you think this team ended up falling short when push came to shove i think i think fans are going to hate this answer but the injuries really did hurt them this year and i know you can't make that excuse necessarily because every team deals with it the astros had some injuries that they were able to overcome as well but when they lost michael king for the year that was you can't quantify that kind of blow and, and what he meant to the pitching staff. Losing a veteran like Chad Green was also pretty important. And some of the guys in the rotation, Cortez hadn't pitched that much in a, in a single season in the big leagues yet. And you start to see that have an impact on him. Luis Severino missed a lot of time. Frankie Montas wasn't the guy that they acquired. They thought that he was going to be uh, when they brought him over from Oakland. And he he wasn't finding his own because he missed some time with injury. Maybe it's different. He He could be a better pitcher if he was healthy for the end of the regular season. And then on offense, because that was the story in the playoffs, they pitched pretty well. It was, they couldn't mount anything on offense because judge wasn't carrying them to the extent that he was in the regular season. So missing Benintendi and not having a healthy DJ LeMahieu was critical. And, and it really doomed them in, in the time when they needed, needed their offense to be there the most. I mean, you look at the first half, this was a historically good team. Uh, a team that looked like it was going to waltz to the ALCS at least. And it was a different roster at the end of the day than it was in April, May, and June. Right. So I think there's a clear correlation to that as frustrating, as frustrating as it is to see Boone and Cashman speaking about that as a fan, I get it, but that did have a clear impact on the product that was out there in the postseason, And I think at the end of the day too, the Astros were the better team. I, I don't know if a healthy Benintendi, LeMahieu, King, I don't know if they still beat them in a seven game series. They just ran into a really good team. And if they get to the world series, I think they would have been fine against Philly probably, but Houston, when we saw them in the regular season, when they had the combined no hitter and, and the only time the Yankees beat them in the regular season was the walk-offs. So Everybody knew, whether it was the, the players or reporters or fans, you knew it was going to have to go through Houston. And it just so happened that it would have been tough already, but the Yankees made it even tougher because they didn't have their best guys available and certain players that were still in the lineup and, and still playing at that point in the year after underperforming for a lot of the season, they continued to underperform on the biggest stage as well. And the Astros continue to get better. Um, year after year, they lose some marquee player and someone fills the spot and does well. And this year, they're already improving with uh, the addition of Jose Abreu. And, you know, what other moves do you think the Astros could possibly make? Obviously, there's uh, talks about they're interested in Ben Attendi and Nimmo and Wilson Contreras. Um, obviously, they'd love to retain Verlander. But 
Uh, the gap isn't there anymore in in the um, in the American League. It still is the Astros' uh, turf to lose. So, do you see them uh, filling any holes of you know some marquee players? I think it starts with with figuring out the Verlander situation. I guess it seems like he'll probably leave. Maybe I don't know. I mean, there are a lot of contenders that are going to go after him and. He proved that he can stay healthy coming off of Tommy John, and, and he had a tremendous season, obviously. So any team would would want to have him, but it's going to cost a lot of money to, to make that happen. But their pitching staff is is so deep. I feel like they can soften that blow, maybe sign a, a mid to low rotation type of guy to just have everybody take a step up to fill in for Verlander, maybe. Um, and yeah, that, that offense is still going to be pretty deadly as well with adding Abreu to the mix, I guess he's just going to be the replacement for Guriel and, and the rest of that offense is still intact. And I'll, I'll say two more things about this. Like one, you look at shortstop and the, the conversation with the Yankees, what the Astros did with Pena, I think is, is something that a lot of teams can take notes on and replacing a, a veteran at the position that meant so much with a homegrown talent who hadn't proven himself at the big league level yet. They ran with him and look, look how much that worked out for them. Every situation is different, but maybe the Yankees learn from that and just hand the position over to somebody like Volpe, maybe a little earlier than they were planning to, just because if you trust your guy and you think he's got the talent to get it done, maybe that's that's what they do. I'm not saying that they would just simply do it because the Astros did, but you know what I mean. And I wonder how much teams like the Yankees will attack the open market or how they construct their roster simply for that inevitable ALS, ALS, ALCS matchup where you know it's still going to run through Houston at this point because they are the the juggernaut in the American League and they haven't been able to get past them over these last, geez, since, since 2015, the first time they lost them in the postseason. So uh, I've been thinking about that. I, I think in free agency, you know, you bring back Rizzo, you make sure that Rizzo doesn't go to Houston. You, you bring back Judge because he's incredible and and you know that he can he can play against Houston he's been there before he's experienced in those situations do you want to get another pitcher just to overload the top of your rotation to know that you can hang with an offense like the Astros etc cetera, etc cetera. so I'm sure that they're thinking about that because this team as it is right now if you bring back Judge they're still a really good team and I could see them winning the AL East again if they shore up a couple different parts of their roster but to get over the hump and, and beat Houston in the postseason, that's easier said than done. You got to definitely add some more pieces over, uh, over the next couple of months. Yeah. And it starts uh, this weekend in San Diego. Uh, you're heading out to winter meetings. Uh, basically anybody who's anybody in baseball will be there. The owners, general managers, uh, decision makers, as well as media, of course. Um, and would imagine a, a fair share of, of players might, you know, make an appearance, meet with some clubs, things like that. Um, we went over just now, you know, some of the some of the priorities that the Yankees might have. Obviously, Judge knocks the dominoes over, the market reacts after that. But in, in general, what do you think uh, is on Brian's, Brian Cashman's agenda this weekend? Is it, you know, are there maybe a couple of different teams that, that he needs to start meeting with, or maybe things have been floated out that, you know, uh, maybe it's a reliable trade partner or something like that. Maybe it's a place to unload Glaber Torres. You know, I, I guess putting ourselves in Cashman's shoes will be those first couple of things we should expect to see this weekend from him. Yeah, absolutely. I think that obviously it all runs through judge. That's, that's going to be the priority. 
and they're going to be in touch with him trying to, to make sure that he doesn't go somewhere else. But simultaneously, you're, you're seeing if you can fix that log jam on the infield. It seems like there are some teams that are interested in Gleyber Torres. Maybe you hold on to him, though, because of the Mayhew injury concerns, and you don't know how healthy he's going to be at the beginning of the season. But even still, you've got these two guys that are going to be in a competition at shortstop in spring training, and you have an Isaiah Kiner-Falefa who, as much as the fan base is not fond with him and he had his defensive deficiencies, I think he would be a valuable piece on a bench. I mean, he puts the ball in play. He's, he's quick. He can play multiple positions. If he's going to be on your roster, you, you got him through arbitration with their contract earlier this offseason. Wouldn't be the worst piece to have as your backup on the infield as, as things stand right now. And the, the pitching market, too, you're monitoring what offers are going to be on the table for a Verlander to Grom. I think Carlos Rodon would be a, a solid fit, too. He's been linked to the Yankees in the past. And um, Senga, the, the Japanese starter as well, could be a fit, maybe. So I think that once the judge news really starts to reach its end, you're going to start to see the Yankees more active. And maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe things will happen the other way and, and they'll be active in other ways first, maybe to prove to judge that they're going to make other moves as well. But I think that, and this is just my opinion, I think the Yankees understand that they need to make a couple impactful moves this offseason, like we were just talking about, in order to get back to a World Series and, and win a World Series. It's been a long time for Yankee standards to, to not get back to the fall classic at this point, and let alone win one. So I think they understand what's at stake. And if Judge goes, you make a lot of moves because you kind of have to at this point. If Judge stays, maybe not as many high-profile moves, but you still have to continue to make this roster better because there will be injuries down the road. There will be guys that struggle and slump, and, and, and every team battles their inconsistencies as well. So I think that, you know, talk to us in uh, February and, and March. I think the roster will look different than it is now. I know that's easy to say, but I think you could say that about most teams. But I, I definitely think that'll be the case for, for the Yankees. So knee-jerk reaction, we'll go through a couple names that are on the team right now. And just as simple, they're here in 2023 or they're gone. So Glaber Torres. I go back and forth on this because he has been getting better over these last couple of years, showed a lot on offense, settled back in defensively at second. But what's really the long-term fit for him? And if his value is at its peak, considering how much better he's been these last couple of years, uh, excuse me, this last year, based on his struggles the last few years, maybe now is the time to get a high upside reliever and, and, and make sure that your bullpen is even stronger because that, as much as it has been consistent and reliable, they didn't really have a closer at the end of this past season. And, and that hurt them too. I was mentioning <clears throat> injuries. I, I didn't mention Holmes. Um, so I will say he's not, there but i mean it, it's it's probable that he's still there because again you're not sure what's going to happen with lemayhu is volpe really going to be on the big league roster on opening day i'm not sure about that he only really made a little bit of an appearance in triple a so that would be a big jump uh, if they really do feel that he's ready so you could still have glaber on the opening day roster whether he's starting or not if Peraza's at short and, and Cabrera's in left or at third and Donaldson's there, um, you might ask me about Donaldson too. I That's know, the but... next one. That's the next one. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I don't know if there's a team that would take him, right? I mean, the money is is an issue. Talk about age with Judge. It, it's obviously catching up to Donaldson. You look at his numbers, he has the track record, but this past season was his worst offensively in terms of a full season at this level. So even if he does bounce back, I can't imagine it's that much better offensively, but it's worth noting that he was elite at third base defensively, I mean, whether it's the eye test or the advanced metrics, <laughs> he was great at third. I think he surprised a lot of people too. So maybe you package him with a prospect that you don't think is going to factor into the equation over the next couple of years, same situation with Aaron Hicks, who you might also ask about, but <laughs> if you can, if you can get a team to, take on his deal or maybe you just eat the money and and get rid of him if you want to have some sense of urgency and and really just rip the band-aid off otherwise they're because as much as you know cashman and steinbrenner i think have, have spoken positively about that trade with the twins and it worked out that they got rid of gary sanchez defensively catching has been great trevino has been a revelation uh higashioka was was all right turned it on offensively down the stretch and Rortvet had his injuries, but he's a high upside defensive catcher. Not as good offensively, but we'll see down the road. Um, and then IKF, we, we talked about too. But that trade didn't really work out as good as they would have hoped. I think it's, it's safe to say, even if they've, they've made it clear in, in public, it, it did upgrade the defense. You can go back and forth with it. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm on the fence about that as well. I, I I can't see a team taking him. So I think he's on the opening day roster and it is important to have a better defense that, that weighed them down in 2021. So that, that, that was a plus for this team in 2022, for sure. And then my last one, Aaron you and you, you checked off all the, uh, the big ticket, you know, sort of Glaber Donaldson and Hicks, the one that seems to be most divisive uh, on Twitter and elsewhere here. Um, was Hicks the last one? Was Hicks is the last one. It's like, I, I know your, your agenda ahead of time. Um, with Hicks, I'll, I'll play devil's advocate, kind of like what I said with, with Kiner Falefa earlier. Hicks would not be a terrible fourth, fifth outfielder. I think you could have made the same logic with like a Brett Gardner coming back, right? I mean, he's been there, switch hitter, great discipline. That's that's one of his strongest attributes that he gets on base in terms of walking, and that's that's been a you know, buzzword with, with how Aaron Boone has talked about him and the coaching staff. Um, but I do wonder if it, it would spiral like it did with Joey Gallo. Cause we saw the way that the fan base really treated him down the stretch and his lows are as low as it gets in terms of slumps. And you saw that impact his defense at one point this summer. Uh, and, and I mean, going into the season, he said he was going to, you know, potentially be a 30, 30 guy. And he ended up having one of his worst seasons too, but he did stay on the field until the postseason, so that was a plus in terms of his injury history i think with hicks it just depends on how they attack the open market and and if you're wanting to spend more to get benintendi and someone else or i don't know who it would be i don't know if they can compete for a nimo or something like that but on the bright side you have your center fielder with bader and let's assume the judge comes back you have your right fielder so you got to figure things out and left and maybe they just move Cabrera out there because he, he played so well in the outfield as much as he is an infielder by trade. So I will, because I kind of said that 
Donaldson and Torres will be back. I'll say Hicks isn't back just to, to mix things up, but I probably think he will be. <laughs> a little PC, but it's fine. That's fair. Good answers. <laughs> well, what do you guys think? You think all of them will be gone or something like that? I think I, I agree with Josh Donaldson. It's hard to, especially how they've talked about it, where it's like they they consider the trade as a win. And right, defensively, he was there. Um, I think the money is going to be hard to move. I think labor, um, and we've talked about it, it's like if he was going to be part of this future equation, he would have been signed to a longer term deal. You know, if you're not going to pay him when he becomes a free agent in a couple of years, it's like might as well move him and don't do the prospect hugging. Hicks is 50-50. I think, I think he's on a friendly enough deal where it's easy to move him, but it all kind of depends on the outfield market. Right. Yeah. Torres would be the easiest to move in terms of teams wanting someone like that. If you don't have a, you know, offensive second baseman, uh, there's, there's, you know, a clear upside with someone like him and maybe he would benefit from a change of scenery too. Um, but he all kind of depends on if D like what DJ LeMayu's health status is, which um, I mean, when DJ's healthy, he's incredible both sides of the ball. And you know, it's been year after year since he got re-signed to that big deal that he's fallen short in playing that full season. So if he's going to be out for a few months, are they really going to risk it with Volpe, Peraza, and Cabrera and uh, IKF as well? I, I don't, that's not really a championship infield in my mind. We'll see. We'll see. I'm right with you. Yeah, it's. I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen on Twitter the montage of every first pitch strike that Donaldson took this year. <laughs> and it's so frustrating because they're right down the middle and he's just standing up there looking at it. This is a different Josh Donaldson than what we've seen in past years. I mean, yes, this, they're, they're different players. If you go back five, six years ago and you think of like, you know, that team with Joey Bats, uh, and Donaldson was hitting cleanup or third sometimes in that order. And I don't know how many times Yankee fans said, wow, wish we had a third baseman like that instead of an aging A-Rod, right? So, you know, he's just such a different player. All that Aller is gone. It's gone. And but you then know he hits a walk-off grand slam down. and you forget about it. Oh, right. Exactly. <laughs> but there's, there's, there's controversy with him. I, I, be interested to do like an anonymous poll in the clubhouse to see just how many guys were really fond of him and what he, what he meant chemistry wise behind the scenes. Cause obviously there was the stuff with, with Tim Anderson and the white Sox, And I don't think that many other teams and players are fond of him in general. Like he's, he's a, a, a easy guy to hate in terms of how he plays the game and all that, which sometimes is beneficial to have in your clubhouse too. But this team took steps forward chemistry wise. I don't know how much, he played a role in that or if he was detrimental in that but the defense was great but the money is is weighing them down but they made that bed when they traded for him so they're gonna sleep in it for those two years but you know you could go back and forth I think it's it's easy to just keep them there because of the defense because of just how impactful that was and you know you, you could bury him in the bottom third of the lineup with the upside like you said that he hits a it's a grand slam or, or pimps a, a single to the warning track, something like that. Um, Cause it's still in there, right? Like he still is a former MVP. 
still can hit the ball pretty far. So maybe a couple of tweaks this offseason and he could have some sort of resurgence. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. And before we get into like just some big headlines with winter meetings, um, you were just talking about your role a little bit. And I'd love to dive in because I don't think many, you know, fans realize what a beat writer actually does. You were talking about like anonymous polls and everything. So what is your day-to-day activities in the clubhouse? And again, being in your first year of like actually experiencing clubhouse interactions, you know, can you just give a perspective of your, of your job and the interactions with the team? Sure. Uh, I'll, I'll give you like a random Wednesday night game against the Royals, like what, what my, what my day is like, um, you know, we get to the ballpark pretty early in the day. We have pregame clubhouse access. We can be on the field for BP, but, um, you know, no guarantee that the, the guy or guys you want to talk to that day are going to be at their lockers or if they're going to be available on the field. So, uh, best advice I've ever received also is to ask, players about their families and have conversations with them not about baseball because when you really need something from them down the road you've already shown that they're not just a a machine or an ends to your job they're they're a human being as well and and that takes time that's something that I'm trying to get better at and and trying to learn Uh, it's really cool for me to be around media in New York because of just how tenured and experienced uh, and and good the other reporters around me are at their jobs. Um, game starts, you work on stuff pregame, go back down into the clubhouse after the game, and you're there pretty late. You're working on stuff. Uh, my job is unique in the sense that I don't have to like file for a newspaper for the following morning. So a lot of times I'll schedule things for the following morning. So I'm sometimes up pretty late when nothing else is going to happen at 2 a.m. in terms of distracting on social media or, or news breaking or something happening in a game. I find that it's easier for me to get a lot of work done late sometimes. You know, the, the day dictates, the, the news cycle dictates what you what you work on. But if you caught someone pregame to, to talk about, you know, how they've been doing over the last couple of weeks, that's a perfect, like, morning story for, for the following day. Or if it's a day game, maybe you don't want to waste it because then it won't be relevant for that long if they get into the game. That's the challenge with baseball. Uh, that you don't deal with in, in football, for example, you know, the, the shelf life of certain stories, it, it's very small because there's a new game every day and stats change, narratives change. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really cool to be a part of and being around star players, up and coming youngsters, a lot of big names in there. It's the, the, the good days are really rewarding. And, and you learn a lot about the, the dog days of summer when, the team's struggling and and you're on the road and you're tired and you're jacked up on coffee and all that stuff. And again, I'm, I'm really new to this too. So I'm not a a grizzled veteran just yet, but um, if you have any other specific questions about that, I'm, I'm, I'm an open book, but that's, that's pretty much how, how it goes in terms of my experience so far. And how is it with like the longevity of like traveling as well? Like, has that, have you adjusted well to that or is i mean it's a long we we always talk about how it's a long season for players but from the media side i mean you're across the country games every day every day it's uh it's a gruesome schedule i i don't get to travel every time i do as much as i can um 
I don't know exactly how many series I did. I mean, to me, it seems like a lot, but there are reporters that go every time, basically. I mean, I'm sure there are reporters out there. I don't know if they're on the Yankees beat, but they cover all 162 or at least every home game and the vast majority of, of road games. You know, it's, it's a challenge. You know, we, we put in a lot of work behind the scenes that you just see the articles get posted, but those types of things take time. And sometimes it's a lot of conversations that lead up to a story or a lot of research on stats to, to have a, an informed narrative and argument with what, what you're talking about. For me also, I do a lot of video stuff when I can, and I'll stay late at the ballpark and just, I have a little tripod that I put my phone on with a, a little light and I'll talk about stuff and put that on my site too, because that's something I'm interested in and, and hope to do in the long term. So, so travel is, is tough, early flights, stressful days, but it's also nice to get out of town and, and see new places, try new foods. I feel like it would be really tough if you're a basketball or hockey writer where you you have a, a game in one city and then a game in one city and you're traveling even even quicker and in quicker intervals whereas we'll get three or four days in a city and as much as you are working really long days still you can still experience the neighborhood and walk around in the morning or, or grab lunch before a night game that kind of stuff right on favorite right park you've been to on the road so far as a reporter or as a fan uh, either one could be in either capacity. Okay. Um, the the ballpark formerly known as as AT and T in San Francisco is my favorite as a fan. I've went there a, a couple of times. Beautiful, right on the bay. I'm sure that's something that that judge will consider. And uh, in terms of as a reporter, it's different, right? Because like covering a game at Fenway is so cool the history the 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 crowd the environment but the press box is is kind of cramped you have to walk through the fans to get to the clubhouse so there are certain inconveniences in terms of our work balance type of thing like Tropicana Field has a great media setup but it's not the most glamorous stadium and and it's the environment's not the same because there aren't as many fans that kind of thing so just in terms of this past year though I liked Minnesota a lot, Target Field. Um, I'm going to start blanking on all these stadiums now, too. <laughs> I did Anaheim, really pretty out there. Nice weather. Uh, the, the rocks in left center were cool. Um, Toronto was nice and went there for the first time. Cleveland was nice, actually, for the ALDS. But I think covering a playoff game might be a little biased in terms of what it was like at the venue. But I'm starting to get up there. It's it's uh it's it's a mission for all of us to get to all of the all the parks and sometimes they change. Like I know um a couple of people like haven't been to the the new one in Texas, but they've been to all the other parks. So they had been to all of them until the new park opened up and now they're they're not to all of them. So it's a uh, it's a process, but I'm excited for starting this coming season. Every team plays every team. I think that's cool. As much as it takes away from you know, AL East rivalries, you don't see those guys as much. Um, it, it'll be, it'll be cool for fans and, and reporters and players to, to travel around just a lot more travel, right? So. A lot more travel, but a lot of cool schedule things. I mean, a lot of holiday games, a lot of everyone's playing the last game of the season as well. Um, so, or no, is it last game of the season or opening day? Everyone's on the same day. It might be both. It might be both. I think it's opening day for sure. 
Um, yeah, because those are always weird where it's like opening day, one game, and then a couple here, right. and then first game might be Friday. So it, it's nice that, that it's odd. like, yeah, I, I want the octo box of all baseball games on the first game and then just focus on the Yankees. Yeah. So, but one day, one day we'll get a Scott Hansen for in the MLB. Maybe A-Rod will take over that, him and uh, Michael K. That'd be cool. It's hard for us to follow other other games, you know, like out of town scoreboard and stuff, or you might pull something up on your computer, but you want to be attentive with, with what's going on. And also you have to be conscious of, of foul balls soaring up into the press box too. Like you put your noise canceling headphones in and that's when you're susceptible to something like that happening. Like Camden yards were in danger, basically Yankee stadium. It, it's, it's rare. So there are some ballparks where the ball never goes up there. There's somewhere it, it does more often. I've yet to catch a ball. I dropped one at Yankee Stadium. I'm going on a tangent at this point. But That's fine. Joey, Joey Votto hit one right to me. And like trying to think of, you know, if you're listening to this or, or you guys, it's like if a, a ball is hit to you, and I think it was like a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. So I don't know what his exit below was on a foul ball because I don't think you can track that, or at least I didn't look. It's got to be up there, right? He hit that hard straight to me. I tried to catch it like this, like as if I was – you know, coming down on it. I don't know if the better way would have been to like receive it, like you're catching an egg or a water balloon, or if you just go for the the palm. But it just before I had a chance to squeeze, it just hit right here, right on my palm, and and dropped down. Um, I saw the ball, but it's not the same. You know, yeah. maybe like 30 years from now, I'll, I'll I'll tell people that I caught it, and hopefully they don't go back and listen to this. But. <laughs> oh, that's fair enough. That is uh. Well, that, all right. We'll do the over under on at half on you catching a foul ball for the upcoming season. I'll take the over. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm smashing the over for sure. There we go. <laughs> we'll give you the one, but so before we let you go, I mean, where can our listeners find your content and get the latest on any of winter meeting situations as they unfold and read along your coverage as well. Sure. Uh, my Twitter is. Um. And my Yankee site is, it's inside the pinstripes. You can do inside the pinstripes.com, but it's si.com slash MLB slash Yankees. I also under the radar run the, the Jets site for, for SI as well. Um, just don't really tweet about that because I'm not there. I'm, I'm on the Yankee side. I prioritize that because I can't be in two places at once. Um, but that's si.com slash NFL slash Jets. If you are a Jets or football fan out there. Um, but yeah, I'd, I've been trying to ease back from from Twitter because it's a lot during the season, you know. So nothing's been going on lately. So I've been, you know, just scrolling, not not tweeting as much. But I think that'll that'll heat up these next couple of days and, and weeks for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, yeah, we appreciate the time. Good luck at winter meetings. We hope you enjoy it, and uh, hopefully, you bring some good luck. And Aaron Judge resigns to eight years, three hundred and twenty-five million. All right. That sounds good to me. Get around that. It's not too bad. (laughs) Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Be well. Happy holidays. And that was just Max Goodman from Sports Illustrated, beat writer for the Yankees. Great conversation with him. I'm looking forward to the offseason. I'm looking forward to winter meetings. We got Anthony Rizzo back, which was massive. One of my favorite Yankee players in this, you know, generation. So he's my favorite player in the league right now. In the I've league, just for a couple of years. Just a good guy. I mean, you have the Cubs connection, so like you've 
you've garnered that already, but he is, that's a guy you want in the locker room and the Yankees did right with him. Hopefully they follow suit. Again, it's not my money to spend, so I don't care. Bring Aaron Judge back. If he wants to go to the Giants, I wish him the best, but the Giants aren't going to spend around him if they're going to spend $400 million on Aaron Judge. And is Aaron Judge going to propel the Giants to be better than the Dodgers and the Padres? No. The short answer is no. Um, no. Yeah, like who the fuck plays on the – who even – yeah, you're going to have – you're telling me – I mean, an aging Brandon Crawford. You still got a little bit left in the tank, but like, who? Who's the other? Jock, Jock Peterson. Is he the you know best they sign Aaron Judge. They're not going to be. They're not going to sign Radon. There goes their yeah, pitching. Uh, Yaz, Mike Yastrzemski. I mean, those are the two guys. At, what fucking Tyro Estrada? The Yankees' sloppy seconds. Mike Talkman still on that team. No. <laughs> They cut him so quickly. Like, I couldn't even tell you who the infield is of that Giants team right now. Wilmer Flores at first, which weird. That's weird. Um, Tyro Estrada at second. Brandon Crawford at short. And David VR at, at third, which I don't remember him. Was he a rookie? What happened here? Stats? Yeah, he was a rookie last year. Let's see. What did he do? He, uh... He hit a cool 231 with nine homers and 24 RBIs in 52 games. So looks like he was a late call up, but go to California, go to California, get heavily taxed on that $350 million contract, start a family. And you know what? Become the next Robinson Cano. You see, they're doing a, a mask mandate again, too. No, they're not. L.A. County, it's on the table. Yeah. So not San Fran, but. Yikes. They're doing a mask mandate. So Yikes. have fun wearing masks. And, and you know, you can mash your 50 homers a year, but, you know, I'm not going to disparage them just yet. I'm not going to go down this I'm not. Road. I'm not. I'm not. Like, pulse check right now, I think where we all landed is like, yeah, the, you know, there's a, and Max said it too, there's a desire to get it done on both sides. So let's see what happens. Win a championship. Let's go. Slap think, the, just slap the C on his chest. Promised him the world. Laid out on a silver platter for him. Make it happen. New York Yankees, no better team. No excuses. Cashman's got to get it done this weekend in San Diego. Let's go. That's our show. That's episode 107. Uh, we have to decide. Oh, actually, loaded week next week because there are two big things we could do. Um, we have a very special guest lined up in advance of an event Friday. We also need to settle these debates once and for all with the house crew. We need that to get... might be that might be a separate live stream. I think we're yeah, we might actually have to do a separate live stream for that. But that could be a fun pod. Yeah. We, we might have to do both. And uh, yeah, we might this might be a special episode. Because yeah, people were heated. There were some there were some serious allegations in that chat. Like I've never seen people come out of the woods. Like poor Eddie too. Eddie came out of here and says a take and James goes, wow, you sound like a psychopath. <laughs> yeah. There was, there was some name calling being thrown around. There was some just awful take. Also just awful takes. The, yeah, there the, were bad takes. The immaturity of the pallets that of this crew that we've made 
truly disgusted me. It's like former BBB guests uh, or special co-host while you had your tonsils out, Frank Perez. Yeah, Frank has an immature, uh, shout out Frank, but shout out Frank's immature palate. I hope his Boston market chicken for Thanksgiving, you know. He said he enjoyed it. He enjoyed it. I'm, I'm so happy for him. He did get yelled at, not yelled at, but the woman looked very confused when he ordered like, you know, the Thanksgiving like box. And then he asked to swap out the stuffing. She's like, what do you mean swap out the stuffing? He's like, I don't want the stuff. He doesn't like stuffing either. Oh my God. I was like, Frank, have try a bite of this stuffing. He goes, I don't know. I don't like it. Like too many vegetables. I go, dude, it is celery, onions, and bread. That's really all most stuffing is. There's no crazy like vegetables like roots or some shit it is bread celery and onion and he didn't do it immature palates might as well add him on just to fire up this crowd that we have but oh we don't need extra fuel i think we've got too much fuel we got too much fuel we are working with kerosene right now well you've created a monster i created a monster what are you gonna do It's unbelievable. Uh, That's our show, episode 107 of the books. That's Will and I'm Jake. So long, everybody. Take it easy.